Take your Bible, if you would, and join me in our text today. Our text is found in Luke chapter 2, and in just a moment, we'll look at verse number 11. Luke chapter 2, verse number 11. I have a uh, favorite tool. Now, now, I have a lot of different favorite tools depending on the task at hand, but every Christmas, quite honestly, I have a favorite tool. And I don't know how I found out about it. I think I may have seen an advertisement or I saw it in a store. I saw some, some uh, presentation of this tool and I thought, that's got to be somewhat of a gimmick. But, but I looked at it and I studied it and I bought it because I have this issue every year. How many of you have ever had Christmas lights that worked when you put them away last year, but when you plug them in this year, they, how many of you have ever had that issue? Okay, so me too, and it's frustrating, right? You're trying to get in the Christmas spirit and you plug it in with anticipation and nothing happens and, and your Christmas spirit fades very rapidly with the dimness of the lights. So, so I bought this, this special tool. It looks, like a, it looks like a strange toy gun is what it looks like. And what you do is if you have a string of lights where the lights are not working, you take one bulb out and then you insert that little cavity into a spot on this gun and then you just pull the trigger. Now I have to tell you I was very skeptical so I had my string of unlit lights, I had my new tool, and I got my tool out and I got my lights and I took a bulb out, I inserted that little opening into this special tool and I pulled the trigger and I am telling you, my Christmas spirit revived. <laughs> because as soon as I pulled that little trigger, the lights lit up. I don't know how it happens. Quite honestly, I think there's a little bit of Christmas magic going on. I really don't know how it works, but year after year, I have pulled out. In fact, I have two of them now because people have found out about it and asked to borrow it. And instead of being the Grinch who spoiled their Christmas, I have an additional one now. And if you keep it, by the way, I know where you live, all right? So th this is a very special Christmas tool. And, and quite frankly, it is all about restoring some broken connection. Now, you may know how it works. So you're sitting there and saying, I know exactly what it's doing. Don't tell me, okay? I just want the magic to continue. And that it does. Something that is disconnected, something's broken in that strand of lights. You connect it to this magic tool, you pull the trigger, and poof, the lights come on. Do you know Christmas offers some understanding of connection that I think is not unique to the season necessarily, but certainly something we highlight every year. The greatest divide that has ever existed was the division between God and man. The greatest brokenness, the greatest need was that man walked in spiritual darkness and a light has come unto you. There was one who came to restore the broken connection that you and I share 
with Almighty God. And all mankind is born spiritually disconnected. And the Bible records some of the most sweet words ever uttered by mankind. In our text in Luke chapter 2, verse number 11, it simply says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The moment man sinned against God, a break occurred that man could never resolve on his own. Christmas is the celebration of a means by which that division would be resolved. The means by which a bridge could be formed, that man could be reconnected, if you will, with God. In our text, we read those words, for unto you is born a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. We know even in this brief statement a few important things. First of all, we know who this gift is for. Have you ever seen a gift under the tree before and you didn't know exactly who it was for? Maybe as a child there was a large gift under the tree and then some other, you know, gift for mere mortals, but that one you looked at and with great expectation, hoping it was for you. There's no question about for whom is this gift offered. This is a gift for you. We, we know what the gift is. I mean, here we are at Christmas time. How many of you have a bad habit of finding out what your gifts are before they're given? Raise your hand. Honesty is good for the soul, okay? How many of you know where the gifts are hidden and you just haven't told your mom that you know? Raise your hand. Still many guilty parties here. You know, there is something about, well, well, okay, I, I know who the gift is for. The gift is for me. But also, I know what the gift is. And that is a savior. Well, what is this gift of God? Oh, well, yeah, it is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We know the gift's name. For unto you is born a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Christ. Lest there be any confusion, God made it clear that we knew that this baby named Jesus was the promised one. He's the one that you've been looking for. He is the fulfillment of the expectation of all of Israel, literally of all mankind. He is not only the anointed one, the Messiah, but he is Christ, the Lord. This is God in human form, Jesus. So we know that this gift is for us. We, we already know what's inside the wrapping, these swaddling clothes. It is a Savior who will reconnect us with God. Today, the ongoing impact of those connections is quite profound. It has bearing on us today and, of course, all year long. And while the title of our message today is Our Christmas Connection with Christ, we're going to take a few moments right now and ask and hopefully answer the question, what kind of Christmas connections does Jesus provide? What kind of Christmas connections do you and I get to experience today because of that babe in a manger? 
Some of these may not be the first thing that come to your mind when you're thinking about Christmas and the, the infant child. But, but let's at least explore some ideas today of what does it mean because of this Christmas connection with Christ? What is it that Jesus is providing? To begin today, let's start with something that I hope is obvious at least in this building today. And that is one of the things he provides for us is a church connection. A church connection because of Christ, because of Christmas, we have a church connection. The church was formed with a connection that only the arrival of Jesus Christ could provide. Without the birth of Jesus, we would be gathering as individuals and we would stay exactly that, individual. The scripture references a new reality through the phrase, one accord, one accord. You get this sense that even musically, that there is some musical idea here, accord, but one together. This is only possible because of Jesus Christ. Individuals gather about all kinds of things. They have something that they're sharing in common. But you and I not only gather as this, this assembling of individuals, but you and I gather and literally form the earthly, visible body of Jesus Christ with Jesus as our head. It is a unique gathering that is different from all others on the face of the earth. You think about the significance of that phrase, one accord. In anticipation for the church's formation, they were already gathering with one accord. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse number 1, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And then when the church is birthed, the Bible goes on and it helps us understand what do they start to do with this one accord? Well, not only were they gathered with one accord, they were praying with one accord. Uh, verse number 14, Acts 1, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Now they have these common things that they're praying about. The church comes together and they say, these are burdens for us. We're going to lift these as a singular voice, all of us together, before Almighty God. They were missional with one accord. In other words, we have something that we have to do. And as we assemble, we all know as the body of Jesus Christ, this is our mission. The Bible says it this way, Acts 15, 25, it seemed good unto us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. They're sending, they're thrusting them out into the field that we oftentimes refer to today as missions. The word one accord comes from a, a very unique Greek word. 10 of its 12 uses in scripture are all found in the book of Acts. It's a compound word and it means to rush along in unison. It means, okay, we, we've got something to do and man, we're, we're excited, eager. We're gonna move rapidly to do it and we're gonna do it all as one. The image is almost musical, as we've mentioned before. You get the idea, though, a little bit further beyond just the chord that's being played, that something is almost choreographed to the music. 
Now there is some action of movement that is taking place and, and it's connected to the church. The Bible says in Psalm 149, verse number three, let them praise his name in the dance. Let them sing praises unto him with the timbrel and the harp. I know we've oftentimes confused the word dance today because of that which would be unseemly or, or presented in a physical manner that is unbefitting the body of Christ. But there is something about this choreography connected to the church that we see this, this beautiful uniting of movement together to this musical sense and and this is the body of Jesus Christ advancing the work given to us because this baby in the manger came to do his work. I picture something like a, I forgive the, the visual illustration, but there is something of many people, a marching band, where they're all playing this, this piece of music. But there is some symmetry to it. There's clearly some choreography to it and they fill a field and they're all moving and they're playing and, and there's something singular about it, although there's still something diverse about it. The church is rushing along in unison as if we, God's people, are in this choreographed movement of mission. Pensacola itself is known for a lot of things. We're known as the cradle of naval aviation. And we're also known as the home of the Blue Angels, the Navy's precision flying team. And if you've ever watched the Blue Angels fly, you have watched them soar through the sky at rapid speed, speeds approaching, when they are doing their acrobatics, speeds that are approaching 700 miles an hour. And they do so with a choreography that is thrilling in what we might refer to as this aerial dance, so to speak, moving forward. And isn't there something beautiful when the church is functioning as God's intended it to function, all because of this one singular head that we have found in this manger, Jesus He brought this connection to the body, life, if you will, to us. I'm reading in Ezekiel right now, and God gives Ezekiel this vision of the bones coming together, and then the sinews, and the muscle, and the flesh, and life. And do you know what Jesus Christ, that little baby in the manger, brought to you and I that we get to experience today? This body that is not just this assembly of dry bones, this body that exhibits supernatural life, all because that baby in the manger. The church would be non-existent without Jesus, the Christ. This is all with one accord. It's why it's so vitally important for every believer to find their place in the body, to embrace their place in the body. In Romans chapter 12, Paul begins to walk us through some insightful comments regarding the church and our place in the body. He says it this way, so we being many are one body. Now, pause, I know the passage is there, but pause, how many bodies do we have gathered at the church? One. So we being many are one body in Christ. And everyone members, so we have the singular, one body, and everyone members, that's plural. Like any body, any human body, it's one body with many members. 
having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Whether we prophesy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or, or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. Or he that giveth. Let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Do you understand what the Apostle Paul is saying to the church? He's saying, embrace your place. Now I will say, Campus Church is a large church. And some lament the challenges of involvement in a large church. I would submit one of the very best and most effective ways to overcome the challenge in any church is through the means of serving your place in the body. Finding it and then serving Do you know, sometimes serving in a smaller church is often seen as essential, but in a large church, optional. There's always someone else that can do it. In a smaller church, it's like, no, there's nobody else. I have to do it. In a larger church, sometimes, well, I'm I'm sure there's someone else that can do it. I'd say it should always be viewed wherever you are, a church large or small, as essential service. And I have found that people who are looking for ways to serve always find them. The church connection is possible only through our Christmas connection with Jesus Christ. Let's go on a little bit further and see not only our church connection, but let's look further at what we'll call our community connection, made possible only through the birth of Jesus Christ. We know that wherever Jesus went, he was making community connections, and he began at his birth. Through his actions, he was showing something that was consistent with himself. We remember that the scripture says in Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good. I don't know if you um, had this as part of your growing up history But uh, the Charlie Brown Christmas special is something that people have have watched for years. In fact, I have watched children, uh, listen to children say the Luke 2 passage. And it's beautifully presented in in the the wonderful majesty of the King James. And and children have memorized it, saying it with, I think it's Linus who says it in the, uh, I'm getting several heads nodding. And uh, so I think he's the one who quotes it. and, And it's just beautifully done. Well, of course, Charlie Brown is, is not just at Christmas, and, and there are specials, but there are also comic strips, the Peanuts comic strip. At Christmas time, in one of the comic strips of Charlie Brown, Lucy was saying that Christmas is a time for kindness and a time to forgive one another. And Charlie Brown says, why do that just at Christmas? Why can't we have the Christmas spirit the rest of the year? And then in Lucy fashion, she looks at Charlie and says, what are you, some kind of religious fanatic? Do you know what she's saying? She's saying, well, well, we do that at Christmas. We don't do that all year long. I mean, come on, get real. But what is the church? And what is a Christian? If only showing the kindness of Christ and doing good at Christmas. I mean, quite honestly, if I can, 
I mean, every time I pass by someone who is standing there with a, a red kettle and a bell, I, I put something in. You say, well, why do you do that? You don't do that every year, do you? I said, no, I, I mean, I don't do it all year. It's, it's not there all year, first of all. And it's there at Christmas. I do it because, at least in part, when my dad was a kid, the Christmas that he had came because somebody put a, a, a dollar or a quarter or whatever in a kettle. And someone would show up at his house and and he says, I still remember open, opening a box that came from the Salvation Army. Then that was our Christmas. Well, I, I do it, and I suppose a lot of people, they say, oh, this is a kind thing to do. In our neighborhood, we, we gathered gifts this year. We, we assembled gifts. And, and there was a truck that came, and they loaded it up with gifts for children at Christmas. I, I don't know who's going to be the recipient of the, the gifts that we bought. I don't know who received them, but, but it was kind to do. Only at Christmas. We take cookies to our neighbors at Christmas time. We, we, we will package them. We'll, we'll put a, a beautiful story about Silent Night along with it. And, and we'll pass it on to neighbors. And we do so with a kindness that is, is befitting the season. But, but is this only what we do at Christmas. We wish someone a Merry Christmas and we'll, we'll go up to strangers and we'll, we'll say to them some greeting of cheer. But, but do we do this only at Christmas? From the moment Jesus was born, think of the good he was doing by touching the lives of those he encountered. Look at a few people that Jesus touched. These are people who, I mean, literally, they, they were touched by Jesus. I can't help but think about the seeking, those people who are looking. Jesus touched them, and the first of which I'm, I'm going to submit to you were, were those that had the first announcement, the shepherds who, who were watching their flocks by night, and, and lo, the angel of the Lord, and, and you'll find the child, and, and so they went, and okay. Now, maybe you're different, but, but most people, when you go visit a newborn, this is how I am, when you go visit a newborn, can you go see the baby without hinting at the fact that you want to hold the child? I mean, you see this little baby, and they're looking at you, and, and um, you're kind of hinting, oh, look, oh, look at the baby. Um, and um, would you like, yes, I would, you know. And so you take the baby, and you hold the baby, and, and um, you know, I'm a little, I'm not, you know, I mean, we adopted. We got a child at two and a half. I didn't have any of this stuff, you know, so... So, man, when I have a little infant, I'm, I'm not all used to that, but I love holding babies. Can you imagine the shepherds standing around and they find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger and they worshiped him? Do you think they asked? And we're just imagining. Do you think they asked? Mary, would it be okay? Of course. And she gathers him up from the manger and she brings him and she places God 
in human form into the arms of mankind. God. Wrapped in swaddling clothes. Do you think they were touched? Do you know one of the things that we love is when a baby reaches out their hand and we take our finger and we put their finger in their tiny hand and we feel something that happens intuitively to a child. We just take our finger and we put it in a baby's hand and all of a sudden the baby begins to wrap their fingers around ours. Do you think that the the tears just began to, to flow down the face of these, these, these outcasts of society, the shepherds. Because now they are holding the one that the angels couldn't wait to say, glory to God in the highest. On earth, he's here. Peace, not just the one bringing peace, but he is the prince of peace. Have you ever been touched by holding a baby? Let me tell you, if the shepherds had an opportunity to hold that infant in their hands, there's no question about who was really touching whom. The seeking are still looking for him. Their lives still being transformed. About two years later, not, not in the typical nativity set that we have now, but a couple years later, the wise men came saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? We've seen a star in the east, or come to worship him. We're seekers. We oftentimes at this, this time of the year, we see the little statement, wise men still seek him. True. There are some who are seeking. They may not know that it's Jesus they're looking for, but it is the, he is the answer. He is the one. I have replaying in my own mind people who I have seen as seekers. And I suspect you may have people in your mind. Some of you are saying, that was me. I was the seeker. And you know, when I start to evaluate it, I I think maybe he was seeking me. The wise men came. I, I replay in my mind. He showed up at church one day. He and his wife and... After the service, I was greeting people like I do and will today. And he came up to me, and and he was from New York, and he talked like he was from New York, okay? And he said, Pasta, okay? And uh, he's an Italian from New York. Pasta, it sounded like pasta, you know? Pasta. And and I said, yes. And and I said, "Um, uh, my name's Jeff. What's your name? He says, my name's Pat. He says, I want to join your church. I said, wow, well, listen, we need to get together and, and we need to sit down and talk. And, and uh, what I found out is he, he grew up in the Roman Catholic Church. He'd been out of it for several years. And the week before, he told his wife, we need to get back to church. And so they went again to the Roman Catholic Church. And he said, I found it hadn't changed since I left it. And, and I went away unchanged. He said, I came to church today and I, and I found something that I have never seen. I want to join this church. I said, well, let's sit down and talk. So we sat down and talked. And, and his life at that moment, that day, was touched by Jesus. He passed from death to life 
never to go back to death again. He wanted to grow. He says, I just, I need to grow. I need to learn. He, he came to every service. And, and at that time, I was teaching ninth and 10th grade Bible doctrines. He said, you, you talk about, you teaching, um, he says, can, people, can other people come to that class? I said, well, it's during the day. He, he had been in, in a corporate world and had just stepped away from that. He said, can other people come? I said, listen, if you want to come to my ninth and 10th grade Bible class, uh, we start every day at 8.15. He says, I'll be there. So here's this, this you know, 55-year-old guy sitting in class with a bunch of ninth and 10th graders. And I had at least one student then that was really paying attention. It was quite wonderful. You know? <laughs> and he'd listen and learn and digest, start going through discipleship. Why? He, he was touched by Jesus. I got a call from Pat about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and he said, uh, Pastor, he says, would you pray for something? I said, sure. He said, this Sunday... The church that I attend is going to vote on me filling an assistant pastor role here at the church. He'd gone to seminary. He, he wanted to serve the Lord vocationally in ministry. He, he called me after the vote. He, he was this voice of bewilderment. They've, they voted me in. I, 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 I get to serve God in this capacity. Why did that happen? Because God touched his life. Uh, James came to church with his wife because his wife, he, he unsaved, his wife kept bringing him to church. And, and I, I came by to visit James. I shared the gospel. I said, James, would you like to trust Christ? And James said, give me some time to think about it. I need to think about this. The next day, he comes to my office. He knocks on my door. He says, I've thought about it. I need to get saved. Okay. I, I think about the deacon who called on the phone, who'd served as a deacon for many years. He says, Pastor, I've been playing a game, and I need to be saved. And so on the phone, he said, can we, can we pray right now? I said, let's pray. We pray on the phone, and he passed from death to life. Why? Because a touch of Jesus. I think about the realtor who, who I prayed with. That we're going to buy a house. And I just, I said, hey, hey, let's pray about this. And he's looking at me and we're in his office. I said, let's pray about this because I made an offer. He says, they don't normally accept this. Oh, let's pray about it. So we prayed about it. He got up from his desk. He came around. He gave me a big hug. I'm like, whoa, that's kind of, yeah. And he says, that was beautiful. I'm going to ask about this offer, right? Okay. I, I invited him to church. He'd come to church. I gave him a Bible, marked his Bible. He never got saved. Probably three months later, I get a call on the phone, and he left a message. I was actually in a funeral at the time. He, he left a message. He said, hey, Brother Jeff. He said, yes, I'm using that word on purpose, brother. He said, call me. I have some important news. He said, I called him. He said, my dad was in the hospital, and he was sharing a room with a, an old retired Baptist pastor. And that guy was sharing verses with me, and I went back. He said, they're the same verses you had marked in that Bible you gave me. And he said, guess what happened? He says, I was saved. Do you know how many times that story is repeated in this room right here? Do you know how many people that are watching right now have a story that is so similar and yet their own? And let me tell you why. Because they were touched by Jesus. They were seeking 
and they found there was another seeking them, and they were found. What kind of people was Jesus touching? We don't have time to go through these, but let me at least mention them. The sightless, those that were blind. Oh, two blind men following. Thou son of David, have mercy on us. When he was coming to the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus saith unto them, believe ye that I am able to do this? They said unto him, yea, Lord. Then touched he their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it unto you. You know, the spiritually blind, who does he touch? Them. The separated? <laughs> oh, th- this was the leper. We won't read the passage, but the leper in, in Mark 1, 40 and 42. What happened? Ah, he touched them. Let me mention the sufferers. Do you remember the woman that had the issue of blood that year after year after year she suffers? Do you remember her? With no help, no answer. Her suffering went on day after day after day, month after month, year after year. She suffers until there was a, a, a moment of a touch. She touched him. The Bible uses this word. It, it really was she seized that garment, releases. And at that moment, something happened to her. Jesus stops, who touched me? People begin like, what are you talking about? They back up because everyone's touching him. No one answers, who touched me? The disciples, Lord, the, the, the people are thronging about you and you ask the question, who touched me? And there was one trembling. What changed her suffering? There, there are people here today who say, I, I continue to suffer. When will, he, when will I get the touch from Jesus? You know, Peter helps answer that question. In 1 Peter 5.10, he says, but the God of all grace, he's got what you need, but the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory, eternal glory, not this momentary suffering, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, <sighs> settle you. Do you know whose lives that baby in a manger is still touching? The suffering, even today. And just to mention, what does that baby bring? The Christ connection, our connection with him. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Jesus. Let me close with this. One person said it this way, so near so very near to God, nearer I cannot be. For in the person of his son, I am as near as he. How close is Jesus to God? Jesus told us, I and my father are one. You and I, because of that baby in the manger, you and I who were once afar off are now drawn nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
And how close are we now to God? Just as close to him as Jesus. Do you know, there is something that is warm and fuzzy, I suspect, about the season, Christmas, and the connections we make. We travel to see family. We are kind to one another. We wish someone Christmas cheer. But that baby in the manger came to provide so much more than seasonal joy. He came to provide a connection that can be found in no other way than in our connection to the person of Jesus Christ. Thank God for the baby in the manger. Thank God for our Christmas connection with Christ.